0: Jesus said, I will build my church. So how many people know that if you're a church that says we want to do what Jesus is doing, we're going to be involved in church life. I know that there's something really big from the Lord going on with this because there's nothing that the enemy is more determined to destroy with, repu- with bad reputation and destroy with uh, every means possible than the church. never been a time in my life when more people speak evil about the church. And I get really stirred up about that because my commission is the church. I get really stirred up about that because I don't think you can really love Jesus and not love His church. Let me say that again. I'm not messing around about it. I'm not messing around about it. I don't think you can really love Jesus and not love His church. That doesn't mean you have to like, you know. <laughs> Listen, I'm real well aware that the, um, about the difference in like and love. <laughs> I'm real well, well, well aware of that. I love that, uh, that, that crazy guy Jordan Peterson, that book he has, Don't Let Your Children Do Anything That Will Make You Dislike Them is one of his rules for living. <laughs> and every once in a while, I'll say to somebody, you know, I don't like you very much, but I can only say that if I love them. <laughs> And I want them sorted out. So you can say, I don't love, I don't, I don't like what's going on here, there, don't like this about the church. But if you don't love the church, there's something missing in your discipleship. Because when Jesus said, pick up your cross, it was right after he said, I will build my church. (laughs) Crickets. All right, so let's, let's get past that and, 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 and go ahead and get stirred up in other ways. <laughs> oh, that. <laughs> the gates of hell. Okay, so the gates of hell is literally, uh, I actually believe, and this is why I came back to this passage, I actually believe that Jesus went to a place known on earth as the gates of hell in order to make his pronouncement, or to elicit from Peter, Peter's pronouncement and to make his pronouncement that he was going to build his church. I think he went to the very place known on earth as the gates of hell. I'm going to get into that in this message this morning, but uh, this, this idea of the gates of of hell most people read it they think it's metaphorical no it's a it's a declaration of war it was jesus formally announcing to the powers that he had come to dislodge them and that he would settle for nothing less um, and so the gates of hell has existed. In uh, it's, it's strange when, when people in general don't get things, we have to have the poets and the artists to help us get them. And so I couldn't help but but look into just a little bit. I didn't have to. I've actually uh, been to a, a Rodin art exhibit, sculpting exhibit, and and seen his Gates of Hell that was inspired by Dante's Divine Comedy. And um, this sculpture was, was the, the artist's attempt to express the misery and agony of man. What was interesting was, guys, this thing took him 37 years and he, he, he included and excluded imagery on it. For the entire period of that life of his life, trying to get it right, and he took the images, which I could blow that up for you real big. You can you can do that online, and uh, he took the the images and did singular pieces from them. So this is the shades representing the souls of the condemned, and it, and they point to an inscription. that says, "Abandon all hope, ye who enter here." Those are the ones that are standing atop, and then underneath is the thinker everybody knows the thinker but most people don't know it was originally called the poet and most people don't know that it represents uh dante himself uh, as as the one who is a tortured soul and and contemplating the descending into the abyss and trying to transcend above it all through his poetry and his art um, artists and uh, artists contemplate things on a different level than other people do. Uh, I'm convinced that um, one of the um, salutary aspects of mental illness is the production of great art. Come on, people! I think God takes every broken thing. Uh, that, Listen, if you don't believe that, don't don't read the Psalms cuz that David was the most depressed dude on the planet. And he remedied his his depression with his psalming. More in a minute. All right, a little, a little quick review before we go back into the Scripture. Jesus says, beware of the leaven. Say leaven. 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 of the Pharisees and Sadducees, which was nothing to do with the issue of bread, but it was everything to do with their teaching because they had replaced the Word of God with their tradition. I got to, this is a, a, a slight side note, but I, but I got I to go down this road. Um. Everybody in the world thinks they want to be a preacher, teacher... Um, and and especially the itinerant ministry has made has inspired people that they want to do that. And look, it's very intoxicating that aspect of it. It's it's great. But I want to tell you something. If you want to be a, a, a preacher, the qualification, the real qualification for being a preacher, or teacher is a complete immersion in the of the in the Word of God and a willingness to look critically at what's tradition and what's what's revelation. And what comes from man and what comes from God. And Jesus has said, he says, your leaven is that you think your traditions are are the word of God. And they said, why do you break the traditions? And he said, why do you break the commandments? That was the setting for this passage that we entered into. And, and, uh. Go, and we live in a great time. You guys, we're living in a great apostasy. I don't know if you know it. I, I've lived now through a great revival, the 60s and 70s. Didn't know it was a great revival. But I am very well aware of the apostasy that's taking place now. I am seeing people fall away in epic ways. And they're, they're bold about it. And mostly it has to do with a very slight, weak, understanding, immersion, grasp in, in, in what is revelation from God, and, a, and a, a big ear toward, hath God said, or the ideas of man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is a big, big deal. This is a big, big deal. Jesus built his church on on the testimony of apostles and prophets. Those are people who move by revelation, not tradition. And I have a really big, I I have a continual ax to grind. I want to be more wild and more charismatic, but I want prophets who prophesy because they're so immersed in Holy Scripture that they cannot not speak, that they burn like they're on fire. The prophets of the Old Testament were not people who got up and looked for letters in their alphabet serial (laughs) and prophesied them. They were not people who walked around in the garden and prophesied the flowers. The prophets of the Old Testament were people of God who lived off the Word of God and immersed themselves in Holy Scripture and bathed themselves, and then they got familiar through through their elders with the experiences of the Holy Spirit. Come up here Monday. We're going to help get you immersed in the experiences of the Holy Spirit. But do you want to prophesy? You can get activated in prophecy in lots of ways, but you will only really prophesy if the Word of God burns in you with a fire. And so when they came at him with tradition, he came at them with Scripture. And the Gospel of Matthew started off with it. You've heard it said, but I say to you. And Jesus came in the revelation of Holy Scripture because you've you got to get this. Oh, you got to get this. you got to get this. Because, because there's too many people who want a position. Who, who I'm telling you, get in the bottom of the boat and do some rowing. Yeah. You got to do the hard work of being alone and eating and drinking what is what God feeds you. You got to get alone with him. Yes, and it isn't just about your creativity and your thoughts. It's about what he has revealed from heaven. And when you are fully immersed in it, then up from that revelation from heaven will come enlightenment and insight and the ability to see the word of God coming alive on top of people. You'll be looking at them and you will see the word of God written on them. Come on, church. Come on, church. I want, a, I want a people who are so on fire. Look, because here's what I'm seeing. There's been a great renewal, and there's lots of young people that are swept in this renewal, but they are not rooted in the Word of God. <laughs> And it has been my ambition since the day this church opened that you're going to come to this place and we're going to open Holy Scripture and we're going to look at it and we're going to speak of it. We're not going to speak of it just in terms of the way it cheers our heart for a moment, but we're going to speak of it in terms of the long thrust of God's revealing himself, both in history and in acts of miracles to show us his glory. Come on, church. So let's talk about scripture a minute. This is all introduction. We ain't even got there yet. Teachers have tried to tell you about the word inerrant. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I've never said this, actually. I don't really like the word inerrant as a description of Scripture. Inerrant is a word that belongs to science, not Scripture. This does not mean that Scripture is errant. This just means that the measurements of errancy are not the measurements to which you apply to Holy Scripture. They are inadequate. The scientific method is not how you judge the Scriptures. Inerrant belongs to the scientific method. It does not belong. Inspired and infallible are words that say God breathed on people and they wrote, uh-huh. and they spoke, and it was from heaven. The book of Genesis is a theological structure of the universe, not a scientific source of inexhaustible information. And what's happening is people who have been in in our renewal get on fire with a little touch from God, but it doesn't sustain them because they're not rooted in Holy Scripture. And then somebody gets them in a science class, gets them in a class, and and all all the academies are antichrist now. Go learn from them, but you better understand there the antichrist spirit has possessed the academy. And when you go in there, they're going to apply the scientific method, and then they're going to take you on on ways that you claim your Scripture sit, lives up to it, and then you're going to fall apart because you're not equipped. Man, I, listen, when I sit in their class and I learn from these learned people, I'm sorry, I am already I belong to Jesus so deeply, so fully, so completely that I'm immersed in Him, and you're not going to dislodge me from Holy Scripture because you've got a science book. It isn't going to happen, but it's because I belong to him, and I'm rooted in him, and once I got rooted in him, I said, no, 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 and I've been made for war. This is 40 years this year that I've been a full-time pastor. September, it was was, uh, 40 years ago that Gail and I went to a little country church. God help those 50 people. They didn't know what they were doing. I didn't know what I was doing, but I'll tell you what they did have. They had a pastor that was tethered to Scripture, rooted in Scripture. I was not up there to tell them what what I had about my dreams last night. I was up there to tell them that I had been in the secret place with the Most High God, and I had opened His Word, and He had spoken to me, and I've come to speak to you about what He said to me. And I've come to read to you from his love words that will change your life. Listen, we massively miss the point if we turn the book over to the scientists. Empiricism is a way of knowledge, but revelation is a whole different way of knowing. And what we're going to see in Scripture today cannot be tested in the laboratory. It cannot be proven in the history books. But what we're going to see today is revelation from a holy God who has visited and redeemed His people. I'm a little stirred up. I'm a little stirred up. So I want to know, how can I have a view of Scripture that will hold together? Let me give you a place to start. Start right here in Matthew where we are. Start with Jesus and pay attention to how Jesus uses Holy Scripture, and you'll have some better understanding of inspiration and infallibility. So when I see how Jesus approaches the Torah, then I understand how I'm supposed to look at what comes by revelation. Immerse yourself in the red letters. Immerse yourself in the words of Jesus. Breathe them, eat them, drink them, sleep them. Write them on on their portals and write them on your forehead and put them before you all the time. Get it inside you. What will happen to you is that when the enemy comes and they ask you the question, because they always come asking questions. Remember that old question about, they used to ask every Christian that came around, they'd ask that old question, well, are Jews going to heaven? Because they wanted to make you look like haters. And I always prayed they would ask me. Because I had a ready answer. Because I'd seen the scriptures. I said, well, let me tell you about heaven. It's the place where Jesus sits as Lord on the throne. And any Jew who wants to go there can go. (laughs) Can we talk? Can we talk? Now those questions are being asked to you about matters of human sexuality. You better get yourself immersed in holy scripture. (laughs) You better get yourself ready to to deal with raising children and raising grandchildren in a world that has turned completely antichrist and has decided that you and I are filled with hate when in fact what is filled with hate is turning human beings over to every desire that they have in their mind and body. There is nothing more hateful than letting human beings be defined by the whims of their spirit and the whims of their mind and the whims of their emotions. That is hating your children. Can we Oh. Listen, I was easy last night. I I had time to practice. <laughs> Pay attention to Jesus and the apostles' use of Scripture, and you'll be on safe ground. Do not nullify the Word of God by your traditions. Do not nullify the Word of God by your reasoning. Do not nullify the Word of God by your emotions. Do not nullify the Word of God by anything. It stands sure and has this foundation. The Lord knows those that are His. So let's look now. Can we look at Scripture for a minute? Can we talk? (laughs) <laughs> I really love y'all, and I listen. I'm, I'm, I'm aware that I don't have as much longer to do this as, already, as I had 40 years ago to do this. Although I did decide this week, late this week, to make a 25-year plan. Nice. Whatever that means. <laughs> What it means is I plan to be upright and still able to speak. And if I'm not able to speak, here's what I intend to do. I intend to breathe out his breath. I intend to saturate the atmosphere so much with His truth that you can come close to me and get it. I intend to become it. See, the outer man is perishing, but the inner man is being renewed day by day. I intend to become what I I want to be. I want heaven to be a familiar place in the end. I want it to be, I understand this air, I understand this water, I can breathe this environment. It is my life. Yeah. Jesus lived in the seen and unseen world, and this is why he did things that were not often understood by people. For instance, he comes to be baptized. When Jesus was baptized, he was doing something in the seen world, identifying with all the people, and he was doing something in the unseen world. He was foreshadowing the death that he would die. You see, the powers did not understand why he came, and neither did the disciples. But Jesus in his baptism was foreshadowing the fact that he would die, he would be buried, and he would be raised from the dead. Never to die again. Never again for death to have dominion over him. And so this was his baptism. It was a seen and unseen event. He went into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Why? Because Adam had been tempted by the devil. It was time for him to be tempted. The first couple was tempted. It was time for him to be tempted. When he went into the unseen, when he went into the wilderness and the enemy tempted him, the enemy comes him with an offer what did he offer him he offered him the kingdoms of this world listen you don't offer somebody something they don't want there's a lot of things you could offer me that wouldn't go very far because i don't want it jesus came for what reason to get the nations of the world why why Why? Why does this matter? Because in Genesis 10, we get a picture of why the nations of the world do not belong, or at that time, uh, could not be said to have been under His dominion. Every one of us knows that the world is full of gods and religions. And you'll go into the academy and they'll say to you, one is as good as another. And if they're right, we need to shut this thing down. (laughs) But but it's but that's not what we're teaching. What are the gods of this world? What are they? Well, the Bible says there. First of all, there's no other gods, but there are other divine beings, both fallen and unfallen. And what's very clear in Scripture is that there came a time when humanity was building a tower. And that this thing was both was inspired in the same way... Yeah, I'm not going to have time for all this. God came and scattered their languages and scattered them and put them in nations. And if you read the Old Testament, here's what you're going to come to understand. The Lord God let, let, the, let the divine powers have authority over the nations after the fall and after the flood. But, he said this, but I have my own portion, Israel. And so we find that he marked out Jacob, he calls him in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 8 and 9. He says, I've marked out Jacob for myself. When Jesus went into the wilderness to be offered the nations, he says, no, I think it had to be a puzzlement to the enemy that Jesus was not attracted by his offer. It was indeed what Jesus had come to get. And the enemy says, I'll just give it to you. All you got to do is worship me. Right? And Jesus refuses this. Because he hasn't come to receive it as a gift, but to take it back as his own by, by his divine right. So then Jesus calls 12 disciples. Why does this matter? I've told you many times I don't have to go into it. Jesus said, I've come to get the lost sheep of Israel. How am I going to do it? Well, I'm going to start with 12. And from these 12, I'm going to reconstitute and get my own people back. He spends three years discipling these folks. It takes time to get ready to do, even if you don't know what you're preparing for. Lots of the schooling that I did, I would go, this is irrelevant, why am I doing this? Because I was desperate for it, that's why. Because now, you know what, now I can stand up in front of you and I can dance like a dancer dances because it's in me. The steps are in me because I did the steps when I was was in school. I did the steps. I ate and I ate and I ate I complained against it because it was dry. Why do I have to eat this dry stuff? I just want to go do it just have fun. No. No. There's a preparation that cannot be done without the grinding work. David did his preparation tending sheep before his father. You got to do it you got to do it. After he, so Jesus goes to the wilderness, overcomes the devil, goes out, calls disciples, and the very next thing he does is cast a demon out. This is recorded in the Gospels. Why? And by the way, whether you know it or not, this is the first time in all Scripture that a demon gets cast out of somebody. This is the very first time. Because here comes the one who has the authority that same one who has the authority then gives it to 70 why did he give it to 70 this is so instructive he called the 12 in order to reconstitute israel he called the 70 it was a prophetic act because in in, at the fall of the nations at the at the terrible fall of the nations god says i'm getting it all back how did he get it back Jesus called 70 disciples as a prophetic act to say what was lost at Babel is going to be recaptured. And then when the 70 came back, do you remember what happened? They came back and they told Jesus what had happened. And he said, I saw Satan fall like lightning, being dislodged from his seat of accusation. Let me tell you something about the devil that you need to know. Number one, he's defeated. Number two, you're still in war. Number one, I'm not afraid of him anymore because I know who I am. I'm a son, and a son with an inheritance doesn't have to be afraid. So listen, there's a sense in which I can say this battle is won, but there's a whole other sense in which I have to say when you lose sight of who you are, when you're not walking in your sonship, you are in a great deal of danger, and you are in a great deal of turmoil, and you are in a great deal of peril, and we have an awful enemy who will come to kill, steal, and destroy. And while he cannot own me anymore, he can sure play havoc with me. And so I'm at war. Well, I was made for war. And while I do that, i got to do one more thing. I did this last night. I'm going to run out of time. but you can, Whatever. I'll preach again next week if I run out of time. It won't bother me. I'm thinking a lot about personal responsibility. So I went into a big thing about it last night. Let me just do this grow up That's where I finished last night. Let me just let me just say something. Take responsibility for your life. Let, let me say young people, don't hang out with people who are loose with their words and loose with their money and loose with their morals. If they're not responsible in their private life, don't give them any time of yours. Do not pay any attention to them. They are fools. Can, can we talk? Yep. Or do like this one did. And just tell them off till they get sorted out. And then you can talk to them. Because that's what she did to me. This one here. when, When I started trying to chase after this one, I was one of those fools. And she said, stop it. And I did. And then I found out I wasn't very good at stopping it. So I had to get saved so I could stop it. But personal responsibility. There's a lot of people that want a lot of authority. They don't have any responsibility. All authority comes from responsibility. It's time to grow up. It's time to take responsibility. It's time to say that I don't have to be tossed around by everything that happens in this world and every thought that goes through my head and every emotion that I have and that you're not ever responsible for my bad behavior. (laughs) All the time in a family. You have a fight in the family and somebody goes out and gets drunk. Are you stupid? And then you're going to tell me it's my fault you got drunk? My fault you got drunk, got arrested, got thrown in jail, got fined, cost us money for work. It's my fault that you did what? <laughs> Who's that lady I said you keep talking about? Joyce Myers. I, I, I'm telling you what, I've drank from the spirit of Joyce Meyer. She's, she's everybody's favorite preacher because all she does is get up and tell people off every time she preaches. She gets up and says, what is wrong with you? You were born ignorant and haven't learned anything. And everybody just crowds in to see her preach. I'm going to get meaner. I've been so nice for so long, and we're getting devoured, we're getting tossed about. You and I have a great responsibility. Our responsibility is the discipleship of the nations, the discipleship of our children, the discipleship of our souls, and the mastery of ourselves. We're responsible for ourselves. It's time for us to take responsibility for me. And oh, by the way, stop hiding behind your psychological analysis. I'll promise you, no matter what kind of behavior you have, there's a psychological category for it. It doesn't matter what it is, and you're still responsible. What's that dude on the TV that said, stop it? You listen. Listen. Can't we talk? I'm going to be like Paul now. Paul said, he talked about his pedigree, and he said, if people have things in their favor, I have more. Well, I do it the opposite way. If you're crazy, I'm crazier than you ever were. And I'm still responsible for me. And when I'm depressed, I'm still responsible for me. And when I'm under a compulsion, I'm still responsible for me. And when I'm addicted, I'm still responsible for me. It's time for us to realize that we are not victims. It's time for us to realize that we can no longer say, my mama hurt my feelings and so I act like an idiot all the time and hurt other people. The prophet Ezekiel said it this way No longer shall you say the fathers, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. The, the soul that sins shall die. You're responsible for yourself. Yes, there comes a time when you're a kid and you are sometimes victimized and you can't do anything about it. But when you become a man, you put away childish things and you grow up and take responsibility. I'm hurting some people's feelings today, and I don't care. When you come and see me in my office, I promise you, I will be compassionate. I promise you, I will be patient. I promise you, you know me, I've done it, I've proved it. But oh, it's time. Oh, it is time. Oh, it is so time. It is time for us to realize that if the thrills and chills we get by the Holy Spirit are not turned into character and honor and behavior that's honorable and laudable, then it's worthless. And I hadn't preached my sermon yet. (laughs) Caesarea Philippi. You can see Caesarea Philippi. Changes gears. You can see Caesarea Philippi at the very top of that map, right? So that's the edge of the promised land. That's the edge of Israel. And you are now moving over into Syria and you're moving over into enemy territory. And what you have in that area is you have a great meadow, a great high meadow called the Bashan. And you have a city called Caesarea Philippi. And this is where this scripture takes place. Now when they came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do the people say that the Son of Man is? I preached on this a couple of weeks ago, so I don't have to go very much into this. Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But who do you say that I am? And Peter replied, You're the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. Now listen. Jesus answered him, Blessed are you. Flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. You didn't get this from your teachers, the Pharisees and Sadducees. My Father has revealed it to you. Spiritual life requires living in the Spirit. Spiritual life requires living in a place of revelation. I can tell you, tell you, tell you, tell you, tell you, Jesus loves you, but the love of Jesus only comes to you by revelation. You can be convinced, but you have to be converted. The cognitive knowledge that God loves me is not the same as the revelation of His love in me. And you say, well, how do I get it? Ah, this is beautiful. You have to seek him. 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 Just Him. And oh, do I know when I've been after things from the Lord, the hours of agony, of crying out and not being answered. I know it as well as anyone. The longing and not being heard. The pleading and it not coming. But now I can tell you after all these years, keep on keep on keep on keep on it's like climbing a mountain and you go is the peak beyond this crest and you see another and is it beyond this one and you see another and it's the most frustrating thing to climb mountains where there, and you say am i there yet am i there yet and there's another and another and another but if you persevere oh you will come and the vista is you'll say this is why i came And this is the revelation of the Son of God coming to us. And Peter has had a revelation, but it's not finished yet. What was the gates of hell? Listen, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. I'm going to go past that. Here's the picture of that place. I've been there. That cave is called the gate of hell. I tell you, you're Peter. And on this rock, I'll build my church. And you know that Peter's name means little stone. So you know that there's a play on words, but you don't know there's a big old play on words going on here. Much bigger play on words going on here than we realize. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples, tell no one that he was the Christ. This is amazing. This is shattering. Because Jesus is coming to be revealed, not by them, not yet. There will come a time when He will so put the Spirit on them that they will become the revelation themselves. But it's not yet. So He's taken them to this place. There is this confession. and, And there is this business about the gate of hell. Where then, again, I'll show you this picture. And I want you to... I want you to get in your mind where they were. Caesarea Philippi was in the far north area. Known in the ancient world as Bashan, also known as the place of the serpent. Where there were considered to be gateways to the realm of the dead. Do you know that Satan, after after the fall, Satan became known as the Lord of the dead? Do you understand that? Well, this is, this is a place on earth. It was also in ancient literature known as a place where the sons of God came to earth in rebellion against God. And you can read about this in Genesis 6, 1 through 4. You can also read about it in the uh, non-canonical but nonetheless historical book of Enoch where this stuff is recorded. And they said this was the place where it happened. It's also the cave of Pan. One of, the, one of the ancient gods. And it was known as the gateway to the underworld. And further, it was at the foot of Mount Hermon, which I think Jesus was referring to as the rock. I think Jesus was using the double entendre of you, Peter, your confession, and this place. Why this place? Because Jesus came to a place, an intentional place, a place where the earth had been defiled, a place where Eusebius tells us there was at least 20 um, altars to demonic gods, a place that had been a place of spiritual worship all over, uh, all over the world, It'd been a, a destination to come to, Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon lofty heights that you hear about. I think it was here that Jesus is at this wonderful watering hole. This one, this place where there was this cave, this place where portals into the place of the dead was believed to be. This place that sat between the the area of Bashan and the heights of Hermon. He came to this place. Why? Because Jesus is wanting himself to be revealed to the dark powers because he has come to declare war. He has come to declare war. And this is what he is doing when he says the gates of hell will not prevail. And those disciples would have known where they were standing. And they would have known that gates implies a defensive posture. And they would have known that you've got to go through a gate to get to a realm. You've got to go through gates. They would have known that every nation in the world had a gate. The gate has to be stormed. You have to go through the gate of that nation and the keeper of the gate. You have to go through the gods of the nations to get to the people of the nations so God can get his inheritance. And I'm screaming at you, and I'm sorry. I don't do it all the time. Tell your guest. He doesn't, he's not always like this. But once in a while, once in a while, he, he's burning and he cannot help it. From that time, Jesus began to show them that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, be killed, and the third day raised. Get it right. Get it. Get it right. Jesus is speaking something that they cannot understand because it's nonsensical. How can you be our Messiah and die? Jesus is speaking the hidden plan of God. He's speaking, listen, do you understand that they all read the Old Testament and none of them came out of their reading of the Old Testament believing that the Messiah had to come and die. It was there in obvious places, hidden in plain sight. And so now he tells them what his vocation is. His vocation is to come to this place and die. And Peter says, no, 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 no. And Jesus says, I'm sorry, now you're talking like the devil, not like the one who has revelation from God. By the way, this is what happens when, half the time when you say, I'm going to go somewhere and serve God, your parents will say, oh, that's dangerous. That's dangerous. them and read them this passage and see what they say they'll just they're going to double down is what they're going to do i'm just sorry i'm in trouble all the time i gotta hurry Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after him, he let him deny himself, take his cross and follow me. Now understand this. Jesus says this before he does this. They don't understand this, but every one of them would have understand. Take up a cross, take up a cross, take up a cross. We've never seen anybody carry a cross that wasn't going to be nailed on one. <laughs> hanged on one, tied to one, suffer on one. This is long before they have any revelation. He's told them about his death. And then he says, oh, by the way, this is what you've come to your graduation time. It's time to graduate. You get your cross. You've got to understand this. Anyone, the picture of carrying a cross is to be a dead man walking. So many apostasy that I'm talking about, many people have said yes and now they're putting down that cross and going away because it's hard. Because you die there. You die there. You die there. You lose your friends. You lose your reputation. You lose your freedom. Lord, thank you that I'm old now thank you that i've got 40 years to look back and say oh i'd do it again take up your cross take it up take it up take it up don't ever put it down but know that you're there to die when you take it up and know that when you're dying you're going to go you're going to go while well, in the middle of it you're going to go is this what it meant and it's not going to make any more sense to you then than it made to them when jesus spoke it Because it doesn't make sense to be suffering. And I'm sorry, but it's time for charismatics to get over themselves and understand that suffering is part of the gospel. It's time for charismatics to get over themselves and realize that God comes and meets us in the path of suffering in ways that He never meets us in the moment of miracles. He meets us there, and He's still the living one. He's still the one from heaven. He's still the one that carries us through. This is our Jesus. I remember so well, early in ministry, when I said, is this what it is? Really? (laughs) Really? It seems so ridiculous. Come on, people. I will build my church. I will build my church. It's built on frustration and pain and rejection and fear. It's built in all the middle of all those things. It's built in the bad times. And I'm hearing about churches closing, he's still building. And the reason I'm preaching like this is cuz I plan to train a bunch of people a bunch of people to be leaders in churches, leaders of congregations, preachers of the word of God. But I'm going to tell you something, you've got to do better than read the back of a cereal box to get the revelation of heaven. Come on. You've got to read the strange words of the prophets and study these strange places. Bashan, what the world is Bashan? You've got to study these things and say, there's something here that I don't understand and you've got to dig in it and you've got to realize that you'll start a study in 2018 and in 2050 you might get a revelation. But you began a journey that you intend to finish because you're climbing a mountain, a high mountain on which you intend to die. What will it profit a man if he gains the world, loses soul? What will a man give in exchange in return for his soul? The Son of Man is going to come to his, with his angels in the glory of the Father, and he will repay each person according to what he's done. Truly, I say to you, there's some standing here who won't taste death until you see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now, you have to understand, I believe the kingdom is a, is a, was a now process even then. The kingdom was announced when the king said, I saw Satan fall like lightning because he saw the enemy being dislodged from the kingdoms of this world. And he said, that's the kingdom come. And then I believe that there was a manifestation of the kingdom that happened when Israel rejected their Messiah and Jesus came with his angels and judged Israel. And their judgment is past, not future. Now there only remains for Israel a harvest for the rest of them to be gathered into the kingdom. That's what remains. A great harvest because the king is going to have a greater harvest from his original people even as he's going to have a harvest from all the nations of the world in every language and every tongue and every kindred. There'll be no hidden place. There'll be no gate that can resist him. There'll be no place that can say no. But he wasn't through with his disciples. He was doing something with them. He had taken them on a far trip because Jesus is about to turn around and he's about to go to his death but they're not ready yet we got to go a little further and after six days i love this i don't know what this means but when i hear after six days you know i'm always in the creation story and i'm moving into sabbath rest after six days he took with him peter james and john and his brother and led them to a high mountain by themselves and he was transfigured before them and his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. This is the Mount of Transfiguration. What is happening here? I'm glad you ask. <laughs> There's something amazing happening here. He's taking them on the road. He's taking them Where? I want to tell you, it says, note it just says he took them to a high mountain. Most people, and most of your commentaries will say that this was Mount Tabor. Mount Tabor is 1,400 feet. I can go out behind my house and knock that out in no time. We we can get that. We can get that pretty quick. They were Six days. And so I'm going to tell you something. I believe given the place where they were, given the, the thing that he was going to do, given the setting, I don't have this from Holy Scripture. I am speculating on this. I believe he went up Mount Hermon. I believe he went up that place where all the gods of the world had staked out their claim over the nations of the earth. Mount Hermon, 9,200 feet. Yes, that's a high mountain. Let's go up there. I believe he went up there. And what did he do there? Here's what he did. Peter, remember what you said? I'm going to show you. Open your eyes, church. Open your eyes. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus takes him to the mountain and says, Peter, this is what you said. And the the one who had taken mortal flesh was momentarily transfigured into that realm of the unseen that science cannot touch. but that these simple disciples got fully immersed in the glory of God. I'm going to take you just a few minutes late in the day, but not long. Don't leave me. Stay with me just a moment. Look what it says. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. Do you remember that this happened to Paul? Just a thought. And behold, there were, appeared to him them, Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophets. Where did the revelation of the Son of God come? And why was Peter able to have what he needed informationally to get revelation? Was because Peter was raised up all his life in the law and the prophets. Because every kid in Israel was trained in the law and the prophets. And here they stand, the law and the prophets with him. And he's transfigured. And the glory that he has within him is manifested externally and and, and look what happens. And Peter said to Jesus, "Lord, it's good that we're here. If you wish, we'll make three tents here. Cause yeah, you build a tabernacle when you're in a holy place, <laughs> one for you and Moses and Elijah." While he was still speaking, when behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud. The thing changes. See, see, it's just Jesus and his clothing that's transfigured, and now they're enveloped in the cloud of God's glory. They're they're enveloped in the holy presence and within he says this is my beloved son with whom i'm well pleased listen to him oh my gosh do you see it (laughs) Do you see it? Peter, your confession is being confirmed by your father in heaven in the cloud of glory on the mountain. And when they and it says and it says when the disciples heard this they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them saying rise and have no fear. This is why by the way, I'm going to tell you, anytime I'm hearing somebody talk about their revelations and they tell me how chummy they are with Jesus, I don't believe them. I'm sorry. Every revelation of Jesus in Holy Scripture strikes a terror into people that He has to comfort before you can get at peace. I tell you, it's Scripture for me, folks. It's Scripture for me. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Oh. I'm almost, you think I'm done, but I'm not. I added some. I'm, I'm almost done. Almost done. In fact, I'm so almost done. Uh, well, not yet. Do you get this? Yes. Revelation. Man does not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We get it by revelation. And hearing it is not always enough because you know what it says? Faith comes by hearing. You know what faith is? Faith is a person who's living inside of the revelation of the word that he's hearing. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. Stand together. In 2 Peter... Now, I I used these last night, but first, uh, one of them I referred to wrongly. I have to correct myself. I went back to Scripture and had to correct myself. In 1 John 1 and 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, which we have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the life was, listen what he says, made manifest. And we have seen it and testify it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and made manifest to us. I believe this is John talking about the Mount of Transfiguration. And that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, that you too may have fellowship with us you see, if you enter into the fellowship of the testimony of the apostles and prophets, then you'll have then you'll have oneness with them. But Peter says it a whole other way. And I, I just I can't even this this passage will just Second Peter. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when we received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was born by Him in majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice from the uh, born from heaven for we were with Him on the holy mountain and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in the darkness until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts knowing this first of all, that No prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried by the Holy Spirit. He says, we saw the majestic glory and heard the voice. And that's how I'm alive today. That's what will keep you alive. That's what will keep you alive. That's what will keep you alive, sons and daughters. It will keep you alive hearing His voice seeing the revelation of His Son, being immersed in Him, being alive in Him. all oh, the enemy's coming like a flood. Hath God said, He's coming. He's coming. But He will not prevail. He never could. And He never will. Now Jesus, touch us today. If you need to be giving yourself to Jesus, this is the day to do it. If you do not know Jesus Christ, He wants you. You say, he wants me? Yes, he wants me. What will he do with me? Well, Jesus said, don't build me any tabernacles on the mountain because my dwelling place is with men. He wants you to be his tabernacle. Jesus wants to make you his habitation. He wants to come into your life and you're the one that's on the mountain throne of your life. You're the one that has the access. You're the one that has the tabernacle. You're the one that can say, come and fill me with the majestic glory. You're the one that can say, I want this life. If you do not know Jesus today, if you have never given yourself to him but you have seen a glimpse of him and said if he's like this I want him then this is the day for you to give yourself to Jesus Christ and say I want my life I want to give my life to him is there anyone here that wants that you've never done this before you or you've done it but it's time to come back home if there's anyone here that needs to give themselves away to Jesus would you simply raise your hand that I might see it if you're here if that's you And when I give give a call in a minute, if it's you, other people are going to come. They're going to come for prayer. You can come. Ministry team, would you come?